Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thanks for joining us today as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Matthew. And today we're going to be looking at the parable of the sower found in Matthew 13. But first, let's, let me ask you a question. What if I could offer you the very, very best book on child rearing, and particularly child rearing as it applies to spiritual discipleship and spiritual formation, so that you would dramatically increase the probability of your children persevering through all the chaos in our modern world, what would you pay for a book like that? Um, Would you pay $50? I think many of you would. Uh, And those of you who are aware of the fallout rate of Catholic and Protestant youth in today's world, you might even be willing to pay $100 for a book like that. And I know that some of you might even go up to $150 if this book could actually deliver what it promised. Well, how about looking at the master psychologist who also happens to be the creator of you and your children, namely Jesus Christ. And Jesus gives us mysteries of the kingdom and how growth either takes place or really doesn't take place in the kingdom of God. And Matthew 13 is a very valuable teaching section in the Gospel of Matthew. There are seven parables. They're called seven kingdom parables. And these seven parables reveal the mysteries of the present kingdom in and through the church. And three of the seven parables, not the one today, but three of the seven in Matthew 13 are only found in the Gospel of Matthew. So let's start with a very simple definition of a parable. What is a parable? It's something that's using something that we know to teach something unknown. It's by way of contrast. And why does Jesus use parables? Well, part of the clue is in the chapter we just finished, Matthew chapter 12, with the dispute over the Sabbath and Jesus's authority when the reaction to his uh, healing on the Sabbath, it said that the people around him set out to destroy him. So he wanted to be teaching about the kingdom, but he did it in a certain veiled way. And so a parable has the effect of revealing truth to his disciples, but also concealing it to those on the outside. And in Matthew 13, right in the middle of the chapter, the disciples came to Jesus and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus answered, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. So here's how the parable of the sower works, so to speak. There's three parts. The first part is the parable given to the crowds. And then the second part, it's a type of interlude where 
the disciples came to him privately and asked why he teaches in parables. And then the third part, starting in chapter 13 and verse 18, it's the private interpretation of the parable of the sower to the disciples. So, the first three parables, things don't work well. Excuse me, the first three soils, things don't work well. And if you've ever tried your hand at gardening, uh, you have found out that it's generally harder than what it looks in a magazine article, a book, or a podcast. And what happens when the sower, who is Jesus, sows the seeds, that's the words of the kingdom, the gospel. Uh, So the sower is the same all through the parable. The seeds are the same, the words of truth from the about the kingdom, but the soils differ. So you might call this the parable of the sower, the seeds, and the soils, but it's particularly the difference comes in with the soils. And the first three soils simply don't produce any kind of lasting growth and life. The first soil, Jesus says, the seeds land on the path. And of course, in ancient Israel, Uh, fields back then, as today, where people walk through fields, a common path or sometimes a common path used by the livestock, that ground gets very hard. And so if a seed falls on it, it just lies on the top of the soil. And even today, I'm kind of an advocate, not kind of, I am an advocate of regenerative agriculture. And it's suggested, don't use these large mega trucks on your fields. If at all possible, use a smaller or a mid-sized truck or even better yet, an ATV, so you don't pack down the soil. Because when you pack down the soil, it's not going to be as fertile. So in any case, this soil, there's no root. There's no penetration. And really what we're talking about is that the words of God— don't penetrate the human heart. And a lot of parents today are mystified, along with their catechists and their teachers and their priests and their parishes, you know, what what went wrong? I mean, we gave all of this information to these young people, the best, great teachers, great curriculum, years of it, and how can they just kind of like discard it and walk away from it? Well, the reason is And this is why these parables are so important, and that's why this first one is so important. It's because the teaching has to penetrate the heart or it does nothing. And this is our creator. This is the creator of you and your children, and he's telling us how things work or don't work in the kingdom. And the first failure comes from hard ground. Now, I'm going to read a paragraph. You're not supposed to read paragraphs on the radio, but this one I have read several times. I will again read it several times. I'm going to read it today because it is so important, particularly in a day when after years of Catholic education and catechesis, young people are walking away by the tens of millions each year. Listen to Catechesis in Our Time by St. John Paul II. Catechetical practice must allow for the fact that the initial evangelization has not 
taken place. A certain number of children, that means a large number of children, baptized in infancy come for catechesis in the parish without receiving any other initiation into the faith and still without any explicit personal attachment to Christ. They only have the capacity to believe placed within them by baptism and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's you have to hear this. This means that catechesis must often concern itself not only with nourishing and teaching the faith, but also with arousing it unceasingly with the help of grace, with opening the heart, with converting, and with preparing total adherence to Christ. This concern will decide the tone, the language, and the method of catechesis. I've long said, and I'm certainly not in any way opposed to classroom religious education, but it has to take a second place to some form of catechesis and evangelization and opening of the heart. And that might mean a camp setting, a retreat setting, um, any number of things that would open the heart, the tone, the method, the place of catechesis. And we keep putting young people in classrooms and give them information, and it lies on the surface. And then Jesus says, and then the evil one comes and takes that seed and flies away with it, and they lose their faith. It just boggles my mind that somebody hasn't pulled the fire alarm in the Catholic Church saying, we need to do something a bit different. And how about heeding what St. Paul, John Paul just said, which is basically, he's saying, we have to open the heart. Because if it lies on the surface, if it doesn't penetrate the heart, then it doesn't do any good at all. Now, the second soil that didn't work, Jesus called the rocky ground. Other seeds, he says, fell on rocky ground where they had not much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. Now, in Israel, there's many places where you have a substrata of limestone, you know, a few inches, maybe a foot underneath the soil. And so there isn't a whole lot of topsoil, but it does spring up early because when the sun heats the soil, that limestone substrata is like a mirror reflecting that heat back up and pow, it looks like, wow, this is going to be <laughs> the best field or the best garden ever because the seeds immediately sprout. But Jesus then gives the explanation in the private interpretation to his disciples saying, now what was sown on rocky ground where they had not much soil, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Now, I'm all for youth ministry. 
Youth ministry was the defining moment in my adult life. Youth ministry is the reason I am doing faith and family broadcasts. Youth ministry is the reason I established a family life center. Youth ministry is because my ears were open to hear teaching on family life from St. John Paul II. But let me tell you about a catastrophic, common catastrophic hype strategy within youth ministry. You read the English Bible, and it clearly says there has to be an open heart. The word has to reach the heart. And in common everyday English today, a lot of people confuse the heart with the emotions. And so many youth ministries and rallies and conferences and camps is just a lot of hype to get everybody excited about the faith, everybody's excited about Jesus, everybody excited about being excited. And that's the emotions. That's not the heart. That doesn't penetrate the heart. That's the shallow soil. And for a while, it looks better than anything else. So everybody sends their their children when they're teenagers or college students to some hyped uh, teen activity or young adult activity, and they wonder, why, why didn't that last? Well, Jesus is telling you why. No depth. Depth doesn't come from emotional stirring. Depth comes from the open heart, which we've already emphasized, okay? Third soil. Third soil doesn't work either. And this time, Jesus says, seeds, other seeds fell upon thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Okay, everybody heard that. And then with the disciples, Jesus taught, as for what was sown among thorns, this is he who hears the word, but the cares of the world, the delight of riches, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. And everybody knows what weeds do. If you've ever gardened, those, you don't have to work hard. The weeds just grow. It's the other things have to compete with that sunlight for the soil and for the moisture. And so the field is fertile. The seed is full of life potential. But when wealth and worldly cares and things come into the heart, and start competing with the heart's attention, it ends up choking the seed. And there's an interesting comment in the ESV study Bible. It says, if deceit is understood in Matthew 13, 22, where I read the RSV, it says, the delight of riches. And I checked the original Greek language in this, and that word can actually be very accurately translated the deceitfulness of riches. In other words, they're tricky because there's a special warning attached with these thorns of wealth and cares of the world because they're so subtle that you may not be aware they're choking the daylights out of the seed in your heart and you're not aware of it. And I dare say this third soil, if you're anything in the middle class of the United States, uh, this is 
Third soil is life in the USA, and I'll include myself. I have too much stuff. Kids have too much stuff. I just read that the public storage, okay, which means you have extra storage for stuff that doesn't fit in your home, your garage, and your attic, is a $38, $38 billion industry in the United States. It's just we're drowning in stuff, and Jesus warns of this. And it's a warning that literally, if you're living in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, uh, this third soil you need to take advantage of uh, and realize that there's a warning here and just giving your children everything may be giving them nothing if it means choking out the good seed within their hearts. All right, now we go to the three good soils. Jesus says, in starting in verse 8, other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, uh, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And then in private, he interprets it. He says, as for what was sown on good soil, this is he who hears the word and understands it. And indeed, he bears fruit, and it yields in one case a hundredfold, and another sixty, and another thirty. Now, even though I tried to emphasize real strong point beginning of this broadcast that better than the best book out there for what goes on in the human heart is Jesus's simple teaching to take something that's very easy to see and understand, taking something known, and then applying it to something unknown. Why doesn't catechesis work? We found three reasons, profound reasons, that are hidden from our eyes, so to speak, why it doesn't work. And then you have others that have varying responses from 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. Well, first of all, I would dare say, applying this teaching, I don't think there's any 100% guarantee because the human heart is free to respond to the grace of God. And that's how you can have good soil, good seed, the good sower, and yet have three varying fruitfulness coming out of that, 30, 60, or 100. Why is that? That's the free will response to grace, and that's something that you and I, as a parent and grandparent, we can't control. We can try to provide everything possible for that, but there's there's that area where the human heart has to respond. And also, sometimes parents um, unjustly beat themselves up because, oh, I'd like to see more fruitfulness. Well, it's that, that part along, you get the seed and present the seed to your children in the, in the setting of family life. And by the way, uh, if you go to the paragraph right before the paragraph I quoted you from St. John Paul II, he was talking about the utter importance of family catechesis in our day. When everything seems to be falling apart, family catechesis is the one place where it can be successful. So you deliver the seed and you try to create a family atmosphere so that the soil of the human heart 
is receptive to this. You don't overdo it with the material stuff. You don't try to hype it and count on hyped uh, youth ministry to keep give your kids the ingredients they need to be lifelong faithful disciples. And you certainly are aware of the need to pray for them and to put them in settings and to expose them to catechists and youth ministers and camps that are particularly skilled at assisting in opening the heart. That's really critical. And so, all right, from this parable, you know what you're looking for. Now, let's talk about the source of spiritual knowledge in the kingdom, okay? And what sources do we have? Um, The deepest source, okay? There are various sources, and there's various good sources, but the deepest source of knowledge of the kingdom is not religious textbooks. What? You're saying religious textbooks are bad? No, I just said they were good, but I said they are not the deepest source of spiritual knowledge. Um, The deepest source of spiritual knowledge are not books summarizing Bible stories. They're good, but they're not the deepest source. Catechisms, you know, particularly, I love the catechism of the Catholic Church, and you can start your children as they get older, at least in the in brief sections behind every major section of the catechism. But that's not the deepest source of spiritual knowledge. It's not philosophy. Well, what in the world is it? It should be pretty obvious. It's the words of the kingdom, the scriptures. Jesus knocks it out of the park. You're wondering how to make fruitful disciples in the kingdom. He just told you as simple as taking a lesson from gardening and applying it to your life and to your children's life. And the catechism, very interesting in section 104, talking about the scriptures, says this, in the sacred scripture, the church constantly finds her nourishment and her strength for she welcomes it not as a human word, but as what it really is, the word of God. And I've seen a certain mistake being made in Catholic catechetical circles by parents and parishes, and it's this. Um, While religious textbooks are good, Bible stories are good, catechisms are good, philosophy is good, but they're not the same as the scriptures. Uh, People just say, well, yeah, this is just on a list of nice, good things. No, the nourishment and strength, the catechism says, comes from the sacred scripture because all these other things are good, but they're human words. And the scriptures, what it really is, is the word of God, a different category. Now, don't take my word for it, but just listen to Jesus at the heart of the Gospel of Matthew. He opens it up with the parable of the sower, the soils, and the seeds. And why not use the most powerful, penetrating, heart-opening dynamic and spiritual formation of your children? Now, I'm going to tell you about a big, big parenting mistake and parish mistake in spiritual formation. 
and that's your emphasis. It, this is a this is a pit that it's very easy to fall into because when we're trying to disciple our children and when we're doing apologetics, when we're doing Catholic radio broadcasts like I'm doing right now, we tend to focus our energies in teaching the, the distinctives of the Catholic faith. Now, there goes Steve. He's saying, don't teach the distinctives of the Catholic faith. No, I'm not saying that. But if we put all of our efforts to teaching the distinctives of the Catholic faith, then we'll tend to underestimate the value of the scriptures because we're thinking, well, yeah, the Protestants use scriptures a lot. Well, let's let them have that, and let's talk all the time about our distinctives, and you're leaving out the most potent and powerful and effective tool in spiritual discipleship. Do you understand this? We don't want to turn to other things that are good but are not the seeds of life. And here's one. If you want to be truly Catholic, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says this in section 103. For this reason, the church has always venerated the scriptures as she venerates the Lord's body. She never ceases to present to the faithful the bread of life taken from the one table of God's word and Christ's body. What is this doing? Venerating the scriptures as the Eucharist. And certainly the church has just come to its senses in the United States and saying, yes, we need to emphasize our distinctives, the Eucharist. But right along with that, we need that emphasis on the scripture. It's not either or. Catechism says, venerate the scriptures as venerates the Lord's body. And do we do that? Is it balanced? Uh, I've rarely seen it. But if you're ready to enter a pagan land, and if you're raising children, like when your kids get a driver's license, a smartphone, they go off to high school or going off to college, God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, but this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate it on it day and night, and then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. The seeds from the sower in the human heart. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 450 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.